would you like to know? Well, you should listen. Zoom. Cron. Week in review. Listen closely. Zoom. Cron. It's gonna help you. Then think for yourself. What the hell happens? I'm gonna tell you. From my in perspective. In the Zoom Cron. In Zoom Cron. Week, week in, in review. review. Right now. Here's an independent journalist, Travis. William Skink Matier. Okay, welcome to another episode of Zoom Cron Week in Review. I'm your host, Travis William Skink Matier. I'm glad you're joining me. Um, right now, I am solo. I probably will keep this episode a solo episode. So, my normal co host, Allie, I'm keeping her and every other human being right now far, far away from me. Um, the reason being just the degree of frustration I am experiencing on every front of my life. Uh, no, no fault of anyone else out there, so let's get that out there. This is the, the challenges I am dealing with sort of individually in my inner space. Like I spoke with Elisa E. about earlier, earlier this week. So um, one of the episodes, or I'm sorry, one of the posts which includes a interview episode from the podcast, was with a survivor of pretty severe abuse under the umbrella term MK Ultra. So Ali and I join forces, as we do, to talk to folks and to do our week in review. And so that was a pretty intense interview. I had some anxiety going into it just in terms of the topic of TI that potentially was going to come up, and it did. Um, we did have some conversations about some of the things I've been researching for a while, things that really kind of disturbed me. So that's one front of subject matter material engaging with that I did this week um, that was a bit unsettling. Um, other things, let's see, <laughs> other things that are unsettling. So um, the blog that I've been maintaining for many, many years, I've actually been blogging uh, going all the way back to 4 and 20 Blackbirds, so that's that was 2010. A different world, a different world back then. Um, you know, but back then it was a side gig. I had a paying job. I didn't actually try and make this a full-time thing until leaving my, my last official paying job, full-time paying job, um, at uh, Missoula Aging Services, and that was in March of 2020. So I left right as things were getting heated up. Decided I was going to do this sort of content creation full-time. Made a documentary, which you can go to enginsmissoula.com to check out. That's E-N-G-E-N-S-M-I-S-S-O-U-L-A. And you can see a three-hour documentary about tax increment financing. It's a, it's a sexy documentary, if I say so myself. A little bit long. Um, I would like to, at some point, make it less long and more concise, more impactful. Um, because that documentary and really the, the topic that it covered, which was public money and how it was being used for development, a.k.a. to incentivize gentrification, which Zoomtown is what we are. That's why I call the, the podcast and the blog 
Zoom Cron because Zoomtown is a term that means hyper development in areas that were able to grow because of the pandemic and because of remote working. So that Zoom thing that's ubiquitous now, the fact that we can have meetings online, people can work from home, that allowed towns like Missoula, Montana to really explode. Yay, so um, the reason I'm bringing that up is because the, well, I think it's the second post of the week, so maybe I should, I should hold off, um, and I'll continue kind of explaining some of the other, other fronts of frustration that I have. So, and it kind of goes back to content creation. So uh, my first co-host, Tim, um, let's see, I can't remember when exactly that was, maybe December of 2021. So I, as I was really trying to do this podcast thing, I, I very much value having another person with me. It's really nice to bounce things off, you know, have someone to bounce ideas off of. And so it's it's great to have a co-host. And But Tim kind of apparently wasn't down with continuing to co-host, and he uh, ghosted just really quite abruptly, um, you know, sort of left. And, and I had been trying to, you know, get on other people's podcasts. I was on Sam Tripoli's podcast. Um, tinfoil hat i was on mark steve's podcast mystic mark um his podcast is um my family thinks i'm crazy you know i've been interviewed by the propaganda report folks brad binkley and monica prez so, and ed opperman has interviewed me a couple times so i've made the rounds um and it's embarrassing to then you know ex say that your butt hurt because um a, a sense of not being able to get back on some of these these platforms um, that would give me an opportunity to tell the stories that I'm covering here as an independent journalist in Missoula, Montana. Uh, it's not just about me and me being my old butthurt, but um, it is frustrating to not be able to get on some of these platforms. And when I then, of course, put out a tweet or a couple tweets about gatekeeping, well, <laughs> there was there was someone that didn't appreciate that. And uh, not only did he not appreciate that, but um, man, he ended up, what was that? When was that? Um... November 12th, 2022, I got this, I got this lovely, lovely message. Um, let me play this. Let me see if I can get this to play. Here we go. Let's hear the, the nice message I got. Hey, Travis, please explain to me why that tweet was necessary. I didn't post anything about you i haven't talked about you on my podcast i haven't spoken to chris Knowles about you ever and you're going to tweet about me for what reason i haven't done anything to you you asked me to remove you from alt media united because you got involved with uh whoever told you not to be a part of it i don't even know so fuck off don't fucking tweet at me asshole Oh man, nice, isn't it? Um, so it's a little difficult sometimes because I still listen to the dude's podcast because there's interesting interviews and interesting content, and I try and step back from my own baggage and bullshit, oftentimes not successfully, but to continue listening to the content that I appreciate. But when you hear the people talking about, when I hear people talking about the need to get locally involved, go to city council meetings, you know, um, and then they're talking about positive manifestation, all, it, it drives me a little insane because, um, you know, Alt Media, not just Alt Media United, which is the network of podcasters that um, that guy is, was, has been and continues to organize, but 
um, you know, the sort of alt media generally podcast world, um, <laughs> it's like a high school popularity contest. And I don't know if really um, a sociopathic technocratic control system that's being implemented in real time as I'm, t- as I'm talking into this microphone, I don't know if we can actually um, get our shit together and, and oppose that kind of stuff if it's, you know, difficult to just act uh, appropriately to each other. Um, so the a little more context for that uh, that message that I received. Um, the reason I started reaching out, trying to get people like Chris Knowles to interview me, I wanted to interview him. I actually never was able to do that. Um, Chris Knowles is a synchromistic. Uh, Mark Steves also appreciates the synchromistic approach. Mark is connected with Mike Wan. Someone I interviewed, Mike Wan, is amazing. Um, But there's a synchronicity related to why I left my job, (laughs) why I'm doing this content creation despite not getting a paycheck and burning through savings and uh, having my personal life sort of crumbling around, uh, crumbling around me. Um, You know, there's a a synchronicity. There's a a core synchronicity. Um, It's one of the reasons I don't drink alcohol anymore. Um, And it's one of the reasons I am in this position to uncover local corruption as an independent journalist, because when... Uh, Sean Stevenson was assaulted on January 3rd, 2020 by allegedly Johnny Lee Perry. Uh, when that occurred and when Johnny, um, or I'm sorry, when Sean was taken to the hospital and then removed from life support by the sheriff's office, um, I think that was Mike Hatch acting as the coroner for the Missoula County Sheriff's Office. When Sean was removed from life support without his family being notified, you know, that sort of lit something within me. <laughs> this kind of like uh, WTF, justice should be a thing that we seek. Why in liberal Missoula, Montana, um, can a black man be euthanized in a private hospital um, after being assaulted by another black man who then later got shot twice in the back by Sean Evans, uh, another Missoula County Sheriff deputy. Um, that was out in the woods August 29th. Wow, pretty, uh, pretty crazy stuff that happens out here in Montana. You would imagine I'd like to um, tell some stories about what's happening here. Um, Storytelling is pretty important. I heard Mike Wan talk about storytelling recently. And yeah, it's pretty critical to how we exist as humans, storytelling. And narrative control is one of those umbrella topics that really drives me. And so it drives me insane to have such immense barriers over and over again, even from people that you think should be on your side to getting some of these stories out about what's happening here in Missoula, Montana. So, um, okay, did I get some of that, that context, butthurt, um, intro stuff out of the way? I think so. So maybe we should uh, move, move along. Let's move along. And I know it's just me talking right now, and it's not nearly as fun just to have me blabbing, but I'm going to do my best in case um, other needs for me to do solo approaches to the weekend review arise. Right now, the need is because I... Um, experiencing toxic masculinity. Yeah, that's how I'll frame it. Um, I'm feeling like a toxic male, and I want to try and um, keep that toxicity contained to just right now this this little room uh, where I have my Lego world um, that I'm preparing to to act as sort of a deranged Mr. Rogers with. So, all that said, let's let's get on with it. The first the first post posted on February twenty seventh, two thousand twenty three was titled, Teaching Skynet to Kill Humans in the Long War for Eurasia. Doesn't that sound like fun? Um, I'll just, I'll read a little bit from the post. 
While geopolitics isn't a topic I write much about at this local blog, every taxpaying American is implicated in the charade playing out in Ukraine. So today I'm going to spend a little time pondering the possibility that our human overlords are stupid and crazy enough to bring machine learning to the theater of war. Because why wouldn't they? So this thought came to me, and I can't find the video right now. So this the video that, that gave me this idea of machine learning in the war theater, um, it was a really interesting sort of... 40-minute analysis of, on a bunch of different subjects, but near the end, this guy started talking about why so much money is being poured into Ukraine and what the benefit actually is to sort of drag and grind out stuff. Of course, this guy talking was very um, critical of Russia, saying that Russia has no chance of winning, and that might be true since NATO essentially is activated within this war theater. Um, I will continue reading my post. Before we get to war, let's talk about school essays or cover art for bands or any other way AI seems to be seeping into our culture. I heard one, one podcaster sheepishly explain why he uses AI to generate images to promote his content around the same time a local friend showed me his experiments using prompts to do the same thing. It's new, it's fun, and I think it's extremely fucking dangerous. The quality of images and deep fake video content being created by AI will do, or maybe already has done, some seriously screwed up things to our culture. It could help perverts normalize child porn because, hey, no victims, or it could be used in targeted ways to get people to question their own reality. The ability to make oneself look younger is also feeding all kinds of unhealthy psychological responses to the reality we humans still experience, which is the experience of time reducing our bodies to dust. This is a fancy way of saying we all die, although I'm sure countless dollars and hours are being spent to stop the offensive process of dying, thus giving up all of your accumulated material wealth here on Earth. To get there, the psychopaths who are terrified of death must master death on the ground because the control of physical resources is still the critical component in the technocratic delusions the master class has to control and extend life in any unnatural way their fucked up minds can imagine. Passively watching this unfold is akin to suicide. One of the latest dis little distractions in the information war accompanying the Ukraine war theater is the accidental image of a Zelensky double supposedly captured by Polish media. Whoops! And then I, of course, include that screenshot of a tweet looking, uh, oh, the double's great. Assuming this is accidental is to ignore the reality that everything happening online is being fed into massive efforts by nation states to bring powerful AI resources into greater effectiveness for the purposes of controlling humans which means controlling anything we use to survive, like food and water. In a post like this, this is the point I'm glad my focus remains on. This is why I'm glad my focus remains on local issues, because going down rabbit holes on clones and other weird interpretations is tantamount to becoming a casualty in the information war. This doesn't mean I ignore strange possibilities. It just means I try to keep ideas that could be weapons from figuratively detonating like a grenade in my own head. Regardless of what benefits this war might be providing to psychopathic war planners, no one can argue that more American tax money is heading to Ukraine to cause mayhem. Okay, and then I just sort of go on and say stuff. You can read more at zoomcron.com. That's Z-O-O-M-C-H-R-O-N.com. And while this post is kind of fun because um, I, I really do try and take when I discuss national issues, although here I'm explaining why I'm glad I'm keeping things focused on local headlines, I do try and take national issues and find a local tie-in. And I didn't even expect to find a local tie-in to this story about uh, geopolitics and machine learning until I actually ran across at the Missoula Current, I believe, a story uh, about the fact that there's a bipartisan effort 
Um, apparently a bipartisan group of Montana lawmakers wants to be sure, and I'm reading this right now. This is a quote from the article, so let me just read this really quick, and then you'll see why I'm reading it. A bipartisan group of Montana lawmakers wants to be sure no one in the state can use robots affixed with guns, swords, or other weapons to kill people under a bill that was heard Friday that would establish the, quote, Killer Robot Attack Ban Act. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So unfortunately, what this actually does, and I don't think I made this point in the post, so I'm glad I'm making it now. What this does is make it sound kind of silly and absurd. You know, the idea of a drone affixed with a sword. Uh, maybe maybe it's a, a zombie tool sword. You know, I, I'm actually looking at a pretty amazing sword right now. I wouldn't want to put it on a drone to attack or kill anyone, but that idea is kind of silly. Um, actually, we should probably take seriously the idea that machines are being um, set up to kill us humans. Um, and and I, <laughs> oh man, efforts like this just really have that counter effect of, of making people not take the subject seriously. So if you have like this group in Montana, um, Montana already has a stigma of having some kind of wackadoodle people out there doing wackadoodle things. You know, when the Chinese balloon showed up over Billings, Montana, there's already memes with, you know, guys in trees, with big shotguns ready to shoot down the next Chinese balloon. So that's sort of the, the palette we have. Um, the colors that Montana gets painted with outside of our, our great glorious big sky state. So an effort like this to, kill, to ban killer robots, um, well, it makes it sound kind of silly. Not a silly thing. Now, let's move on. Okay, so the next post the following day um, was actually, I think the following day, was it a two-day post? Um, no, I, that's right, on February 28th, <clears throat> excuse me, so the last day of February, the hope was to solve a mystery that unfortunately was in part created by myself being confused. And so um, if you want, this is a little bit more of a maybe a boring insider post that, that I will spend just briefly some time on saying, once upon a time, there was a sheriff. His name was T.J. McDermott. Um, and that sheriff did some stuff during his tenure, stuff that I'm looking into. Now, allegedly, he wants to be mayor. And if you go to the campaign electronic reporting system that looks at uh, Montana campaign expenditures, you can actually see that he has, in fact, uh, been through the process with the state. My mistake was I thought that the Missoula County election system was supposed to be showing some results, but the the filing date isn't actually until April 20th. So I was a bit confused between the county reporting system and uh, the electronic state campaign system. So this post clears it up. What's not cleared up though is why allegedly, from all what I heard the chatter behind the scenes is that there was an announcement that T.J. McDermott was, it was an imminent, he was gonna announce his candidacy to be mayor of Zoomtown, mayor of Missoula, Montana, which is Zoomtown. And then the announcement didn't happen. And so it's a, that, that part still is a mystery. Hmm. <coughs> It'll have to be solved at a later date. I'm still on that case. Okay, and then we have, moving on, March 1st. So March started off with a bang. Not an actual bang, but... This is sort of like a, a reflection post going back to that time I was just describing in the introduction, the time 2020, uh, end of 2019, a lot of stuff was happening locally. That became the documentary that I mentioned, Engins, Missoula. And so 
Here, we have a situation in which the police chief currently is stepping down. The title of the post, a mayor not selected by voters will select our next police chief. That's because Jordan Hess is our current mayor, and he was actually um, unofficially selected in a dark alley. That's right. In Missoula, Montana, this is because our mayor, John Engen, Engen, sound familiar? Yep. The documentary that I made, Engen. Um, John Engen died while in office. And so we had to get a new, a new mayor. And Jordan Hess is what I like to call um, our multimodal, radical, placeholder mayor. It's a mouthful. That's why I had to slow down to say it out, to s make sure I was getting it right. Um, that's our mayor. And now we have Jason White, our police chief, who was brought in by John Engen not too long ago, 2019, right before things got crazy here in Zoomtown. Jason White's stepping down. He's resigning. Um, also, in this post, I note that the PIO, that stands for Public Information Officer, the, the PIO, Lydia Arnold, where'd you go? She stepped down also. Um, I know that because the name of the person reporting the scant information that happens when you know people get shot and stuff like that, uh, that name changed. Um, there's no article saying, hey, the PIO is stepping down like when Travis Welsh Travis Welsh was the PIO, the first one, actually, for the Missoula Police Department. And then when he retired, that was an actual news article. Now, Liddy Arnold just steps down. Nope, no news article. Um, so I, I go, go down memory lane, um, Jason White having divested from something called the Iron Cross Ranch in California. So I took another little screenshot of that. Um, like to, I, I like to archive history for future generations. So reviewed what happened in February. Um, the public, so, okay, the documentary that I made about tax increment financing, the use of public resources that was going to a giant project, a convention center, um, part of that project was going to benefit a local developer, Nick Chakota. Well, a lot of that local uprising, public comment, protest that was happening month after month that really rattled our, our city council members, you know, some more than others. Well, that culminated in an incident in February here in Missoula where a window of a police cruiser allegedly spontaneously shattered. Of course, the officer mistook the, mistook the shattering um, for having maybe taken fire, perhaps from an elevated position, uh, perhaps from a, a veteran by the name of Brandon Bryant, who was uh, rumored to have been shooting up the town at the time, but he was actually already arrested and on a significant bond for felony charges because, again, he made, he made some city council members feel kind of scared with his emphatic public comments and, and a stick that he had. A uh, $100,000 bond is what he faced. Um, so interesting times. I interviewed Brandon Bryant for the documentary. I interviewed uh, J. Kevin Hunt for the documentary, one of the people making public comments. Very interesting times. And so this post um, also touches on the situation with Johnny Lee Perry. Um, I show the footage that I released um, that I took myself of Johnny being very threatening, making threatening statements towards law enforcement. Um, about two weeks after that footage was released, Johnny was shot and killed by the Missoula County Sheriff's Office. Interesting. Uh, I talk about some things that come from California. Um, we have Two Bear Air, created by Mike Gogoin up north, and he, he used to be part of Two Bear Capital in California, but then things happened, and now he's in Montana, Acting like a sort of um, unofficial Batman, we also have Brian Von Rocket Scientist, one of our former city council members. He used to work at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Isn't that, isn't that curious? Yeah, yeah, the Jack Parsons occultist back in the day, Jet Propulsion Laboratory. That's our, that's our former 
city council guy, Brian Vaughn, rocket scientist. He came from California. Um, uh, lots of good things come from California, so I just wanted to, to document that in this post. And it was a great chance to remind viewers and the audience and for people that are new to, to, to show some of the work that I've done in the last couple of years. So let's move. Let's move on. Okay. Yeah, this is kind of messed up. All right. The next post, March 2nd, we have multimodal zealots undeterred by things like snow and a society in slow motion collapse. I start with a screenshot, and the screenshot shows the fact that Missoula has had a hundred days of snow. A hundred days with at least one inch of snow on the ground. Our record is 122 days. That's a lot of days of snow. So I showed what snow and then the melting of snow, it turns into ice. So when snow melts, it gets kind of you know warmer, but then it gets cold again. It, it creates some havoc on our bike paths. And so for all of the, the multimodal zealots that are really, really excited about all the multi-millions of dollars going to the transportation, transportation infrastructure development, I take a nice brief little minute 45 second clip of what happens on ice when you are multimodal uh, walking with feet. So that was a, that's a good post. <coughs> Excuse me. The thing um, I then transitioned to in this post, um, the part about a society in slow motion collapse, um, it's kind of interesting because it was after, this post was written after speaking, no, I'm sorry, maybe this was before. Yes, before the, the interview with Elisa E. In any case, um, the idea of trauma and how we collectively now experience trauma, especially through social media, is something I wanted to also document because as I was writing this post um, and it made it into the post, I saw just a completely awful 40-plus second clip of a man casually loading a handgun and then shooting a homeless man on the street of St. Louis. Um, as I mean, and the, the people filming it were kind of in disbelief about what they were about to see, but they, as bystanders, did nothing. They just filmed and watched this happen. And it, it's incredibly, incredibly screwed up. Um, and so if you look at the post, I think I'm able to sort of pull off the combination a bit better. One of the things that I did want to mention, though, is I provide a, a definition of fifth generation warfare. And so I'm going to read that definition now. Um, and this is from Wikipedia. I like to use Wikipedia just as like a general baseline for what you would find if you're looking for a definition of something like 5GW, which is fifth generation warfare. So this is from Wikipedia. Fifth generation warfare is warfare that is conducted primarily through non-kinetic military actions such as social engineering, misinformation, cyber attacks, along with emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence and fully autonomous systems. Fifth generation warfare has been described by Daniel Abbott as a war of, quote, information and perception. There's no widely agreed upon definition of fifth generation warfare, and it has been rejected by some scholars, including William S. Lind, who was one of the original theorists of fourth generation warfare. Okay, so let's move on to the next post. Okay, that's right. So the next post is the um, Elisa E. interview. So I um, also add just a little bit more context, but that then posted on March 3rd, 2023. And then there was a bonus post that day. A bonus post, that's right. Um, sometimes I take little bits of information and I sort of... I keep that information in the back of my mind, ready to use if need be. And Missoula County, Missoula County, as it manifests through Twitter, 
and therefore through tweets upon the platform Twitter. I've been following Missoula County and the Twitter handle that is the official form of communicating by our local county government to the people like me who live here in Missoula and want to know what's up with local government. What is up with local government? Well, I'll tell you. I'm reporting that whoever's running this Twitter handle, huh, hmm. So the, the fact that I, it was announced on Twitter, um, this, is, this is, I'm reading from the tweet now from Missoula County. The Missoula County Commissioners proclaimed March as Women's History Month in Missoula County at their March 2nd public meeting. Enjoy these historical photos of women in Missoula County during the 20th century, courtesy of the, the Mon University of Montana Library Archives and Special Collections. Yeah, so I'm going to now read what I wrote in the post. Yes, that's right. Our amazing county commissioners have accomplished another empty civic performance for a subsection of humanity. Last month, it was a performance for the blacks, and this month is for the ladies. Are you feeling honored, ladies? The plight of women in today's modern culture and their relationship to men is something the Missoula County Twitter handle seems particularly interested in. How else to explain this cute tweet about the age of women Leonardo DiCaprio dates? Now, you might be wondering why um, someone in local government would find it relevant to bring in pop media references. I don't know. You'll have to ask whoever is running this Twitter handle. But here's the tweet. This is from February 9th. Did you know that Missoula County is 163 years old? This is 29 years older than the state of Montana and 138 years older than women Leonardo DiCaprio will date. <laughs> ha 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 ha. I think in a subsequent tweet, the math was wrong on that, and so it was corrected. But um, I'm an English major. I'm not going to try and do any of those numbers right now. And then there's another tweet that I documented. This one was from February 23rd from the Missoula County Twitter handle. And it, it goes, Montana men, what's stopping you from looking like this? 14% of adult males in Montana use chewing tobacco. This is more than twice the national average. So then there's some pictures of really good-looking older men um, smiling. And don't worry, there's a, there's a BIPOC in there. Got so don't worry. There's some inclusivity in the propaganda against cigarette smoking, which, hey, great. Don't smoke cigarettes. But you know what? Uh, maybe body shaming me for not looking like a, a young, attractive man. Well, I think I maybe I, I do think I look like that. But were I not to be sort of fit um, and, and, and pretty healthy and smiling when I'm not crying and weeping and in full like rage mode? Um, I don't know if that's really constructive. Uh, maybe I should talk to the Missoula County Health Department and see if there's any um, free groups I can attend to deal with the, the added trauma and stress I'm experiencing um, for not always rising to this 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 really um, high standard being set by the Missoula County Twitter handle. I, I just I feel very insecure now. I continue by saying, yes, that's right. Missoula County really cares about your health, Montana men. Do you feel cared for? Do you feel valued? Do you have a good job that allows you to be a provider for your family, perhaps in Missoula's growing tech sector? Or is the cultural war on masculinity getting you down? Be honest, guys. This is a more honest and accurate depiction of what the world is doing to us. And then I show a picture of, and it's a very infamous picture, used in many, many memes of Ben Affleck, ben Affleck eyes closed, left hand in pocket, right hand beside him, holding a cigarette. And you can just tell the burden upon Ben Affleck is heavy. So heavy, it feels like the burden of all men rests upon Ben's sloped, droopy shoulders. Hmm. I continue in this post celebrating women, pointing out, 
I'm including a lot of pictures of guys. This is me writing to the post. For a post celebrating women, there might be a tad too many dude pics so far, so let's bring some equality into the picture with a picture of Missoula author and rape apologist Kirsten Pabst. Oh, she's also the county attorney here in Missoula, but that's more of a perfunctory role on the road to bigger and better things. And then I show an image of two men. Um, one man is a lawyer, the other man is crying, and then you see Kirsten Pabst in the background, partially obscured. And the title of the screenshot, there's actual headline. It says, former prosecutor set to take over Missoula office that mistreated rape victims on her watch. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Yeah. I continue. Do you see our county attorney? It might be hard to see Pabst since her face is partially obscured by a crying man. So let me take another screenshot so you can get a better look at the face of selective prosecution in Missoula. And then you see her face. I continue in this post. I'd also like to take some virtual space to celebrate two women who have two amazing podcasts. If this blog handed out awards for narrative control, it would be a toss-up between Connie Walker's podcast about Jermaine Charlo, titled Stolen, or Jewel Banville's podcast about an old rape case that ripped apart the family of longtime blogger Mark Tukarski. That podcast is called An Absurd Result. And then I have a little screenshot because that podcast won an award or was like in like the top picks for a Slate magazine selection. I continue, here are some questions that would be implied to ask during a month of celebrating women, but I'll ask anyway, is the Stolen Podcast helping to provide cover for some dangerous men who aren't what they seem to be? And is the Absurd Podcast leaving out a theory about how a rapist came to target this particular house on that fateful night in 1987? Maybe instead of impolite questions, I should ask something else. Like, wouldn't it be nice to live in a world where equality meant a chance for voiceless people, regardless of their external packaging, to have an opportunity for their grievances to be heard and addressed? Instead, we get a virtue-signaling version of equality that's really just a smokescreen for sowing division so a sociopathic elite can maintain control of as many human cattle as possible. When this Sunday's Week in Review gets posted, and that's what I'm recording right now, Part of the conversation I'll be having with my co-host, Allie, unfortunately, right now, Allie's not here, but I do want to bring her in to talk um, about some of these things, uh, will include the potential impact of a new social media filter all the ladies and a few men are talking about. To give you an idea of what this filter can do, here are two images that exemplifies its capabilities. Now, I know I'm talking a lot about images that you can't see because you're just listening, but um, I would strongly encourage people to check out, if you can, um, some of these incredible, incredible before and after filter depictions of what this new filter can do. It is incredible in terms of, um, you know, people talking about they can put their hand in front of their face and it doesn't glitch. You know, I'm not a person that is familiar with all these filters. And so um, this was sort of new to me. Um, and I know when I was showing Allie, it was new to her. And some of the some of the commentary provided by the women is very insightful and these filters i really consider part of that 5gw fifth generation warfare okay so let me see is that that can't be it is that it for the week no let me just take a look i think for the most part that did wrap it up okay um i am going to pause now and one thing I do want to, to give a little tease for is at the end of this podcast episode, there's a great song that I recorded about Farmer Josh. One of the things that I haven't touched on yet 
um, is the continued damage control fallout of um, a variance that was requested and, and voted for by our county commissioners, minus Josh Slotnick, who is a county commissioner. And it came out that he's going to benefit from this variance. And Josh was all apologetic and explaining he never meant to be not transparent and in hindsight, blah, 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 blah. So um, I'd like to talk a little bit about that. And there is also an interesting article I would like to, to get into about transportation. Um, I know transportation is something being covered. I hope, I really hope, as I'm trying to still trying to set up some opportunities to bring my perspective about what's happening in Missoula to people outside of Missoula that have larger platforms than I. Um, I would really hope to get a chance to talk about some of this stuff in this article that came out about youth trends in driving vehicles, um, gas-guzzling vehicles. Those trends are fascinating, and there is something going on that's not being discussed by the people that really want to use youth to push um, a, a sort of non-car transformation of the transportation grid, of the transportation infrastructure, maybe coming to you in your new convenient 15-minute city that you may or may not be able to leave. So I would like to get into some of that. Stay tuned. I'm going to hit pause. I hope to be back to provide some more perspective with not just me yapping. But you have been listening to Zoomcron Week in Review, and I am your host, Travis Williams skink and I will continue bringing you content on a near-daily basis. So stay tuned. Okay, and we are back. For you, the listening audience, no time has gone by between the pause and the restart of this episode of Zoomcron Week in Review, where I am now joined by Allie. Say hello, Allie. Hi. Um, Allie did not get the benefit, like you did, listening audience, of listening to the 35-odd minutes of my personal belly aching. Um, she didn't get to listen to the clip um, of the podcaster who wasn't very happy about being called a gatekeeper. Um, other parts of the, the different fronts of the war that I feel like I'm in um, didn't get the benefit of hearing all that belly aching. I don't know if that's quality content. It's just where I was at this morning. It is now not morning. It is 6.15 p.m. here in Zoomtown. That's Missoula, Montana. And in the, in the break, in the, in the time, I stepped away from the microphone. I've had a chance to see my kids briefly. I'll see them again later this evening. Not as much as I'd like to. Back in the day when I lived inside the house where they live, I live in a different place. There was also another tra uh, train derailment. That, that's right. If you're living in Ohio, at this point, you might feel like you're, you're actually in a real war where trains are being purposely derailed in your state. Um, this is literally within the last couple of hours. Um, we have Springfield, Ohio is where this is happening. Um, over 20 cars have been derailed. Not really sure if there's hazmat type chemicals. They're assuming there might be. Hazmat crews are headed in that direction and residents of Springfield are being told to shelter in place. Part of what I was talking about in the first segment of this episode was actually people having a shelter in place in downtown Missoula, Montana in February 2020. That was the end of a many month long public uprising against the use of tax increment financing. Um, Ali, I remember you saying that you were actually downtown that day. I was. Yeah, you were part of that um, shelter in place, uh, law enforcement rolling in their favorite to with their favorite toys. I even got a parking ticket. But you, you got that parking ticket reversed, didn't you? 
I had to appeal it. So the, the Parking Commission means business here in Missoula, Montana, and I'm actually very impressed that Ali was able to, to get that, that process reversed because it takes great effort to have things like that uh, when, it, when it comes to the, the local consequences of the small, petty, little infractions you might make against local policies. It's not easy. They were pretty understanding. Hmm. That's not going along with my chosen narrative of local government bad. In that circumstance. And this is why it's important for for you to be here, Allie, to to push back a bit um, against maybe the the woe is me, belly aching, everything is bad in the world. I I was reluctant to actually leave this this space earlier today because the world just kind of seems hostile out there. Long pause. <laughs> I don't know what to say. There's, there's good in the world too. You know, there there is all kinds of different things. One one thing though, I wanted to, to do was play some some gibberish. Okay. You were in the car when this was recorded. Um, let's listen. So, oh. so what people might not know, that was just recorded a few days ago. That's the sound of spring in Missoula, Montana. That's the sound of, of somebody probably tripping on something. Yeah, they, there, there might be drugs, there might be mental illness, there might be both. But in, in Missoula, Montana, when the birds start chirping, you still have snow on the ground, which yeah. impedes multimodal transportation, like I wrote in one post. It's a bummer. But... It's, it brings out sort of the, the energy of sometimes manic, like a little bit crazier than usual. Springtime is a very interesting time, April especially, although it's not April yet. T.S. Eliot, the poet, said it's the cruelest month. Why? I have a theory, but that's going to have to be for another episode. Okay. So um, any of the posts that we wanted to kind of get back into briefly, the one I know you wanted to, to touch on, our interview with um, Elisa E. Um, yes. I was very nervous about that, but you didn't seem to be as nervous as I was. Not at all. I thought it was an honor to talk with her, and she's um, she exudes a lot of strength for what she's been through, and I think she's an inspiration to anyone who's been through complex or acute trauma. I mean, yeah, I was actually kind of happy that this one book that that really kind of bugged me out. Um, around this time last year was not a book that she was f- familiar with. I have since purchased some of the books that she mentioned um, because I, I have a pretty weird subsection in my library of TI-related material. And so TI stands for Targeted Individual. And um, the the beginning of the interview, you know, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of the audience because there are a lot of podcasts I listen to. The audience is specific to conspiracy topics. We are talking to to people who, hey, maybe they're a city council person listening, right? right. Um, and not necessarily as willing to entertain some of the extreme possibilities of what happens under this umbrella term MK Ultra. Like one of the things that I mentioned um, is the show Stranger Things is more of a framework now for people to think about representations in culture that they might find somewhat relatable since we now have those types of references we can make. It's normalizing it. Right. It is normalizing it. Specifically for the youth. 
Yes. Oh, oh, the youth. Um, another aspect of one of the posts I, I wrote about was machine learning in the theater of war and what might be happening with all of this information that's being fed and money that's being just sunken into the Ukraine war theater. And the idea that, that now with technology and deep fakes, um, it's getting weird out there. So you and I are both probably older than some of the people that are really active on TikTok using sure. using filters. You had not seen the the capabilities of some of these social media filters until I had shown you the latest, right? Right. I mean, are, you're familiar with like people turning their faces into kitty cats and dogs and horses, sure. right? I mean, those are like the fun filters. Yeah. You know they're fake. Right. Um, what did you think about some of those video clips that we scrolled through? I'm pretty unmoved by them because for a very long time I've seen people as people. So it doesn't, it doesn't maybe have as much of an immediate impact on me other than to say that I think it's a sad state of affairs to, um, you know, that we live in a culture that objectifies humanity. I think that's pathetic and disturbing on some levels but it, it just um i mean i i have a lot of thoughts as it pertains to trafficking and as it pertains to the predators who are putting forth these types of things and predators within institutions as well as individuals and and propagating um basically insecurity among young women. I think that's pretty disgusting. Insecurity. That, that's a, that's a big term that pops up in some of the clips. Yeah. Um, I would also say it's like the viewer of that is, has a lot of insecurities too. I, I think we've, uh, I, I, I shy away from the, the notion of the boogeyman so, somewhat because I think like generally I don't like to give, predators more credit than they're due because they are weak insecure people well so so insecurity is one word what about expectation because i think of in terms of the male perspective right um one of the the things that are coming up and i the broader picture for me is anything that makes it more difficult for humans to make real human connections and then the type of connections that make babies right? Um, those are specific types of connections and making babies is a part of how humanity continues moving forward through linear time. So making babies is important. Um, and it's already not, uh, the easiest thing for men and women to, to join together in the time period required, um, not just for the, the brief thing that happens before the making of the babies, but then when babies are gestating and then after the babies come out, all of this stuff is, is already difficult. And so the whole dating scene is not something I'm all that familiar with the apps that are used to, to hook up, but this term catfishing came up in the, in the, <laughs> I sound like such an old person. So forgive me audience out there. If you're not less, if you're you know less than 30 years old, um, the catfishing and the, the expectations that are being created and, and the sense of beauty that's actually being skewed it, it actually does have an impact that I don't think people think enough about. Um, I've had some conversations with my boys about pornography, right? And just trying to explain to them that they're going to come across content. I hope they, they don't, but realistically they will. 
and trying to explain to them that is not realistic. That is a performance. That is a performance that then creates an expectation in the minds of people that don't have direct experiences of what that act might be. Um, it's, it, this isn't necessarily the, the topic I want to get um, dragged into, uh, I'm, and I'm certainly not going to drag you into this topic if, if you're not comfortable as we're having these kind of conversations, but insecurity, expectations, um, what's real and what's not. I mean, just what, what can we expect is, is reality. You have to ask why the filters you th think for a moment like a predator and um, whether it's a corporation or an individual again like why why i always tear back the veil and say say why well they want you to spend more time on their platform and so if you're if you become sort of dependent on the filter to improve your self image then you're going to spend more time on the platform just like a uh, big pharma they they want you to spend more money on your on their drugs so whether that's the the trans situation where the, like you're getting hooked on hormone blockers or whatever you know that it's it's interesting to think of of what you are buying into. So it's not just you know the psychological impacts, but it's also your time is incredibly val valuable. Our time on this earth is very very valuable because it's limited. We're not immortal. We haven't plugged into the mainframe and downloaded our consciousness into some kind of cyborg technocratic future yet. And so if you're spending time on a platform like TikTok and then you become so dependent on it because that's the only way you want to relate to other people is through this beauty filter that gives you a skewed sense of reality. And then you go out and you, you see what's actually in front of you and you're less enthused by real life. I mean, that, that really is a way of, I think, degrading not just your own experience as a human, um, but the, the real life connections that will propagate our species. It's also a failure to be content with the things that you do have. Yes. I mean, it's a failure to appreciate what's real. And, um, I think that even more so as not just talking about filters on photographs, but the whole social media landscape is a joke. In my opinion, I think all of it is fake. I mean, it truly is fake news that people put only half of what's real and not the whole thing. And it lacks integration and the, Nobody, I, 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 am, I am embarrassed to say that both Twitter and Facebook, their algorithms, in the last couple of weeks, I have caught myself spending 15, 20 minutes just mindlessly scrolling. And then I'll, I'll catch myself and I'll be like, what the, f what am I, why am I doing this? Why? Mm. You know, and it's, it's, I'll, I'll maybe run across a few articles like the one I'd like to kind of segue into, but um, Thinking about cost-benefit analysis, I really don't know if the cost is worth the benefit of the few things I'm running across as I am spending less time um, maybe getting some sunlight out there in the in the world. In Montana especially, sunlight is important as we're coming out of winter. But um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fake-ass world online, definitely. That's the truth. Yeah. Are, we, are we ready to segue? Uh, I, I think so in a second, but I do think it's important to marinate in what's real. And I think the advent of technology generally has devolved conversation. I mean, not just the, the manner in which like comments have been oftentimes deleted from newspapers because they're too hostile and all that. I mean, it just, people don't see people as people and that's a problem. Um, but beyond that, I think 
the level of intelligent conversation about any of the articles we do see in the news is pretty lacking. Um, there's not a whole lot of in-depth thought that goes into things anymore because it's clickbait. Everything is just um, what gets the most views and nobody really cares. I mean, I hope people do care about the depth, but it's just not usually provided. And I think that's a huge loss that I've noticed in the last 20 years, especially things have gone south in that way. Yeah, I actually had this um, recent experience where the reporter's Twitter handle bothered me a bit because of the tweets. And then I met the person, actual person, and had a really decent conversation. And I, I thought in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, this this was unnecessary to start forming a opinion on the person based on such a limited slice of what they put out there in the world. And that slice being so self-conscious. I mean, anything we're putting out there on social media is thought about, you know, I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not a real, real snapshot of, of what we're like. Um, and, it, and it's interesting because the article we're going to talk about, the Mirage, the sense of an illusion is in the title. And the reporter I was talking to covers education and it was before a school board meeting. So there was a kind of executive school board session because of their challenge in finding a new superintendent for the Missoula County school system. I also am now caught up in a emergency uh, school, not, not caught up, but um, I feel compelled to attend a emergency school board hearing called for Sunday for tomorrow. Um, to look at some CDC trigger requirements that are potentially going to put masks on two of my three kids. Not happy about that. But the sense of what's real, what's not, and kind of checking in with what might be a different interpretation of what the transportation multimodal zealots really want to be true. Um, Ali, you, you appreciated checking out this article. I appreciated running across it I on did. Facebook, even though it was... It meant that I was on Facebook. Right. But this is a City Lab Bloomberg report, and the title is Gen Z's Turn Against Driving is a Mirage. And I think we could spend a little time talking about this since transportation is so hot right now. Mm -hmm. So let me just start reading this article by David Zipper. Um, this was actually put out just on March 1st, and we'll see what sort of what kind of conversation this spurs. Can a youthful generation liberate our car-clogged cities? It's a question that more than a few people have been wondering lately. Throughout the rich world, the young are falling out of love with cars, proclaimed a February headline in The Economist. Another recent article in the New York Post noted that around 25% of American 16-year-olds had a driver's license in 2020, down from 40% in 1997. Zoomers are shunning cars and driver's licenses, observed the Washington Post. Will it last? It almost certainly won't. Despite the fond hopes of many urban planners and mobility advocates, as well as some journalists, <clears throat> excuse me, generational preferences are no match for decades of auto-centric development that all but force most U.S. residents to drive, even if they would prefer not to. In fact, the decline in car use among teenagers may not represent disinterest as much as ding-ding-ding unaffordability, which would carry grave implications for equity. You know, also for having a fun uh, teenager life, I think. Sure. If we want to untether society from its reliance on automobiles, okay, that's an interesting premise. If we want to untether society from its reliance on automobiles, we cannot avoid the difficult work of building places that don't need them. 15-minute cities? 
that requires increasing density and investing in transit and bike lanes, which lets people have real choices about how they travel. Generational shifts might provide a tailwind, but without major policy reforms, today's car-weary teens will become tomorrow's daily drivers. Hmm. Anything you want to opine on quite yet? I thought it was interesting that the the issue ended up being finances more than an unwillingness to drive cars. And I think that's that's true of a lot of things in our society right now. As prices have increased a lot and it's it's hard to determine what's a reflection of values shifting, although I do believe there is some value shifting, but um, how much is it just a function of the economic realities of our time? Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to scroll down and see if I can kind of pop in to to catch that perspective a bit. A, a bit. Um, one of the things that's, that it was mentioning is that um, Gen X, let's see, uh, no, I think millennials. So Gen Z's uh, predecessors had a sort of similar, you know, are they falling out of love with cars? You know, do they not care anymore? Um, and then some of those shifts showed that if people were paying attention, it might not just be sort of the the move away from auto-centric mobility or auto-centric traveling that, that the planners were hoping. Let's see. Um, we're, okay. So most of these young people were not opting to forego driving because of, of environmental convictions or a principled rejection of car culture. They just couldn't afford it. It makes sense if you look at the cost of owning a car and, and insuring a teen driver, Ralph said. It's so expensive that it doesn't make sense. Unable to buy a car themselves, teens relied on family and friends to chauffeur them, with limited, which limited their mobility. If they had more money or if driving was cheaper, such young people would have been behind the wheel. Indeed, as that cohort aged and their incomes rose and they started having children, see, that's another big one, they started having children, it turned out that they weren't so anti-driving after all. Um, quote, the notion that millennials are spurring cars across the board is clearly oversimplified, City Lab noted in 2014, looking at auto commuting patterns across U.S. metros. That same year, American millennials began buying so many cars that they were grabbing market share from every other generation. They're heading for the dealership just like their parents, Derek Thompson admitted in a 2015 article in The Atlantic. 2015 also, Allie, might have been peak Dick Florida. I think this is oh, when no. Dick Florida was sort of like hitting his prime. Well, that's not good. Yeah, because by 2017, he was um, doing his mea culpa about gentrification and how he don't care. Hmm. Uh, let's see. So getting back in here, um, inconveniently, Thompson wrote in his follow-up, reality is messing with our prediction. <laughs> yeah, that happens from time to time. Oh, Researchers have repeatedly debunked the generational driving gap. A City Lab report in 2019, a national study published in the National Bureau of Economic Research, found little difference in preferences for vehicle ownership between millennials and prior generations. A 2015 study focused on the Minneapolis area found no statistically significant gap in car ownership rates between millennials and those born between 1974 and 1983. And it just kind of goes on and on. It is really, really interesting, I think. Yeah, it is an interesting study and one that certainly impacts our our local city and economy, I would say, as well. Um, one of the things that's getting attention from the 15-minute city, there there was a CNN article referring to now the 15-minute the, the city as an international, I think, right-wing conspiracy. Hmm. 
Um, so it's always fun when the when the right wing conspiracy framework gets pushed onto a subject. Part of that, I think it's Oxford in over in England, across the pond. I don't know. I'll never try accents. It, it, beyond the word folks, okay, you also yeah. need to make sure that I don't use accents. I'll, I'll do my best. I should never even try. Or not even a hint of an accent. Sure. It, I, I think everyone has some sort of accent, though, okay. by default. But I'm not going to try to have it to do a different one for effect. That's good. Effect? Okay. E or A. We're not going to go there. So I think Oxford. It's e. Darn it. Now my brain's going to get distracted. I'm pretty sure it's E. Oxford is a place where the 15 minute city is getting attention because um, I'll have to maybe look up something more specifically, but um, that's where this is getting the headlines now because there are city planners that are feeling somewhat threatened by the anger that is starting to, to come hmm. forward. When you really start for, like forcing the, this ma major shift in transportation use like you start coercing that shift through planning through policy through infrastructure changes um you know things might get heated i forgot to tell you ali this just popped into my head guess what what city club here in missoula is going to be about this this coming week i have no idea the higgins quarter lane reduction plan oh, interesting we're gonna go I'm, interesting i might even spring for lunch interesting not yeah. just coffee so i'm very excited for us mm -hmm. to attend that Cool. And we're going to be discussing that next week. The yeah, week review. That's, a, that's a big deal. Um, and part of part of that interesting sort of um, perspective that I have a clarification on now is that the Higgins reduction plan. So for people that aren't familiar, Higgins, the Higgins corridor um, that they're trying to go from a four lane configuration to a, a three lane. So like two lanes on either side. And then um, they want to take those two lanes, take the four lanes, go down to two and then have a sure. center lane. Yeah. If people are following along, that's amazing. Except for I'm, snow removal. There lanes. are there are some definite problems that are that are coming up with this, but the the scope based on the letter that I think we did read portions of last week, the scope of um how long this has been in the works is is really interesting to think of when you think of the the Higgins Bridge and the couple years that we've now gone through for for that bridge to be renovated. Yeah. So the bridge and that renovation was done by the state. So the state um, Department of Transportation. Right, MDT. The urge to do this lane reduction plan is coming from local urban planners. And so I suspect there is a lot more conflict between state and local people and local planners than really is being reported on publicly. That's certainly a possibility. We know that's true in other areas of government. It's a hunch. Are, are you trying to segue to Farmer Josh? Uh, no, but sure. We, we, we could, and we yes. should. Yes, yeah. So I have to make a distinction. Josh Farmer is a musician, and he kicks ass. Yeah, Josh Farmer is amazing. Farmer Josh is a reference to Josh Slotnick, our oh. county commissioner. I was, yeah, I, I, he had a, Josh Farmer had a show at the Union Club last night. I wish I, I would have gone, but it was, yeah, he's awesome. Anyway, he seriously, is. support Josh Farmer, everyone. Yeah, locally, Josh Farmer is is fantastic, and that's why I wanted to make a distinction. Yeah, as I I talk about Farmer Josh, that we're not talking about Josh Farmer. Fair, because that's confusing. I hope that doesn't breed some correlation in my head now. It, it might. I'm going to be deprogrammed so that it doesn't. <laughs> oh, that's uh, that's a good one. Um, so. 
I want to make sure that distinction was made because the song at the end of this episode is great, and it's about Farmer Josh. Hmm. <coughs> Excuse me, but there's been multiple articles now because, well, gosh darn it, they just didn't mean to be not transparent. They just didn't mean to. It was just an oversight. That happens sometimes. So I'm going to read. The, this is my favorite one so far, though. This is the, the latest coming from the Missoula Current. Gomer wrote this one himself. This is from Martin Gomer Kidston. Gomer is the nickname um, bestowed upon him by myself and some others. And it's another mea culpa from Farmer Josh. Here we go. Missoula County this week said it could have done a better job disclosing one of its commissioners' involvement in a parcel of farmland where the collective owners sought and received a variance request from the county to open an agricultural business. Commissioner Josh Slotnick on Thursday said the issue could have been avoided had he and others made it clearer that he had recused himself from any discussion or review about Corner Farm Village going back to last year when he submitted a conflict of interest form. So that's cool. Mm -hmm. They have conflict of interest forms and you can submit those. Yeah. So, and this is cool because we're gonna we're gonna get some fixes for this this oversight, okay? I didn't, this is a quote from Farmer Josh. I didn't at all want to prejudice your decision making. Slotnick told fellow commissioners on Thursday, I also told everyone I wasn't going to be part of these meetings because I didn't want my presence to prejudice this. This project was going to have to stand on its own or fall on its own. Members of the planning and zoning commissioner Commissioner? Uh, let's see, I think commission. I think that meant to say commission. It's always kind of difficult to read with, through the typos of Gomer's writing. Mm. Okay. Members of the Planning and Zoning Commission, including Commissioners Dave Strohmeyer and Juanita Vero, recommended that the county approve the variance request the variance request submitted by Corner Farm Village LLC at a meeting on February 9th. Slotnick didn't attend the meeting, and county officials never disclosed the fact that he was a business partner in the project. On Thursday, commissioners described it as an oversight and said they should have made it clear. Quote, we learned something here. It's an opportunity to do better in the future, said Vero. We should have announced at the meeting that you hadn't been physically present for any of the preliminary meetings. And if you had been, you would have recused yourself. We could have done a better job. So he didn't recuse himself. He just ghosted. He's like, I'm just going to not be there. Okay, and then a business right. decision. Here's like, that's the bold title of this next little section. Corner Farm Village sits off 3rd Street and includes 10 acres, most of which have been under production for years. Slotnick said he and his wife have been farming the property for at least at least 15 years and have been involved as a business in farming for close to 30. Back in 2019, Slotnick said he received a call from the property owner who planned to sell and asked if they were interested in purchasing. Slotnick and his wife agreed to purchase the land, but shortly after... A bidding war broke out, which increased the purchase price. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Slotnick said he had a short window to find a business partner to help secure the purchase. I don't know what any of this actually has to do with the the, the lack of transparency. Disclosure. But I do think the details are fascinating. Um, quote, during the at 48 hours, I never looked at what the zoning was. I didn't know it was actually two parcels and not just one, he said. <laughs> My entire goal at that point was to keep our business intact. Last year, Missoula County approved a boundary line relocation um, to separated two acres. That separated two acres? Come on, Gomer, write coherently. Um, of the property from the remaining eight where agriculture is, is practiced. They practice agriculture out there. 
cool. Yeah. It's on that smaller parcel where Slotnick and his business partners look to open an agricultural store to help sustain the business as a whole, including the farm operation. The project wasn't controversial, <laughs> and no one voiced opposition. It wasn't controversial because no one knew about it. Sure. Um, the project wasn't controversial, and no one voiced opposition, at least until the disclosure issue arose. Oh. Quote, I want to be really clear and say that myself and my wife are proud partners in Clark Fork Organics, a farm that's associated with Corner Farm Village, Slotnick said. We're also involved in what a lot of farms and ranches have to deal with, which is succession planning. Is this turning into like a episode of Yellowstone? Is this, it could be. Is this John Dutton Maybe, at play? I, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, we definitely wouldn't. Um, let's see. Uh, this is how we're moving out on to the next generation. Ooh, interesting. Before Corner Farm Village went before the county, Slotnick filled out a conflict of interest form on, on October 17, 2022, and recused himself from the county's decision-making process. In the form, he disclosed his partnership in Corner Farm Village and wrote, This year, within the next 12 months, CFV will come before the county with a boundary line relocation proposal. If the BLR is successful, CFV will, go, will also go before the Zoning and Board of Adjustment and ask for a variance to existing zoning. I will recuse myself from any decision involving CFV. While Slotnick has been absent from any discussions regarding the project, Strohmeyer and Vero said his role in the business had no bearing on their decision when reviewing and ultimately approving the zoning change. That's pretty nice, right? Yeah. It's a small town, so it does make it more difficult. Um, so I, I, I understand. I think, obviously, the appropriate action is to formally recuse oneself um, from direct conflicts of interest um, and obviously disclose that to the public. So we might get some some new sort of process, though, from this little snafu, and that's a good hmm. thing. Oh, this is how it ends up. This is how it concludes. And this is Slotnik. Quote, I wish I had put the same amount of effort externally into telling the whole world this was happening. It would have been better had I done that, he said. County, official, county officials said in the future they may begin posting any conflict of interest forms for easy discovery and review by the public on the county website. Sure. Isn't that a nifty idea? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, I thought that was a nifty idea. I'm sure, sure you'll spend a lot of time on that website. <laughs> yes, um, and hopefully I won't get confused as I did between the different campaign situations. That was another post this week. But that got that was clarified. Touched on. It did. I, I w created that post out of my own confusion and then rectified it in, in that post. We still don't know why TJ McDermott has pulled back from announcing his candidacy for mayor. Mm. But we do know um, that the, the filing opens on April 20th. Hmm. That's pretty soon. It is pretty soon. Um, another thing that I'm going to touch on, I may write a post um, in the next week or so um, about the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, so there's a really, really interesting article that came from CNN, which is very bizarre to me. And it's about... Um, the 1995 Oklahoma City mm -hmm. bombing? Okay. It's about a cop. And it's about a cop who was looking into some stuff. And he ended up um, committing, quote unquote, suicide. And very, very fishy. But this mm. guy um, was a hero. He saved several people from the wreckage. And he declined a medal that was offered to him at the time because he knew something had, had happened there. 
Interesting. Um, so things blowing out instead of just, you know, one, one bomb in a truck that mm -hmm. sp supposedly blew in and, and caused that much damage. It's a very interesting thing. The fact that it's coming out on CNN, this article, is almost more interesting. And hmm. CNN is in such free fall in terms of any kind of actual audience. You know, if, right. we, if we do this consistent, consistently, this podcast, Ali, we might beat, beat CNN in a year. What do you mean? In terms of an audience. Because there are... Because they're terrible. Declining viewers. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that, that's, that's setting a, a high bar, uh, an expectation, because in our, in our humble valley, we have 80,000, you know, 100,000. Sure. So... About um, percentage-wise. But I think that's around sometimes the, the viewing of CNN shows. Mm. Interesting. Like 50,000. I mean, they have some really... really... Nationwide or worldwide? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, they're getting beat by um, reruns of like reality TV shows. Wow. Well, it depends which reality TV shows. Well, it could be one of the Missoula County Sheriff Office reality oh. shows that they well, participated in. Let us hope not. Most awesome candidate ever, Bill Burt, who almost got Justice of the Peace. Uh, actually, no, he didn't. He did not get anywhere close. And thank goodness, because um, there was all kinds of interesting stuff brewing around that time. Zoomtown is an interesting place. And so for you listening... If you appreciate um, the local content that's being created here, you can go to zoomcron.com. That's Z-O-O-M-C-H-R-O-N. And you can go to my about page. There, there is a way to make a donation. You can provide money. Talking about monetizing content, the possibility of the Patreon subscriber model, which everyone seems to be doing it, um, is definitely going to be something to take a look at. Uh, anything else as we kind of look at wrapping it up? That's what I said multiple times in our interview with Elisa, because we ended up almost talking to her for nearly two hours. Right. I'm I'm not familiar with all that was covered before, so I don't know. Um, me being sad and angry, I think, okay. was kind of the gist. Uh, I I played that that little video or audio clip um, back when I was so so I have a, I have a contention. This is what I one of the things that I said. Um. Alternative media is essentially a high school popularity contest, and it needs to not be if we're going to impose like a technocratic system run by sociopaths, we should probably communicate better both publicly and then behind the scenes. Um, I can do better maybe conducting my own behavior. So the lack of response I get sometimes from folks when it folks, dang it, the, the lack of response I get from people it's easy to start reading too much into that. And I need to step back from that because it's like a chip on my shoulder kind of bullshit mm -hmm. thing. And I need to stop that bullshit because when I hear amazing content, I know ultimately in theory, we're on the same page, the financial pressures that are brought to bear on people who are actually trying to do this, especially if you're trying to do this full time. Um, I was listening to Adam on Deborah gets red pilled, for example, and, um, Chud X, his, his co-host, um, has to pull back because he actually has a job he goes to um, that pays him money that he doesn't like, it sounds like. But um, when he looks at his bandwidth, he has to be realistic about what, what he can do. And I mentioned in my belly aching, uh, my co-host Tim back in the day who ghosted me, um, just kind of stopped, you know, it stopped everything, including communication. Um, again, it's like, I don't want it to be a popularity contest in, in these right. like high school antics you know, I, I have actually been thinking a lot about our interview with Elisa because, um, you know, 
we have choices to make and the fact that we still have choices to make um you know her poise if what she claims in her book is true and i like to keep a space open for it not being true just because uh, some of this content really does still scare me so i mentioned that also in Mm. my little half an hour boohoo session some of this stuff is freaky and i talked a little bit about how she went pretty deep pretty quick Mm -hmm. and our listening audience is not necessarily primed to be jumping in the deep end um and swimming in the deep end you can you can appreciate swimming in in the deep end i can as long as there's edges to hold on to yes and that's a good thing but something that came up from the conversation with elisa which i appreciated was just the idea of truth for truth's sake that it's really not about building an audience or growing a platform or any of that and i i'm a firm believer in you do it because it's it's the right thing to do or you're pursuing the truth um for as its own end because i it allows a certain level of detachment i guess where it's like instead of performing for an audience or what you think people might want to hear you're saying what you'd be saying anyway and i think ultimately um i'm thinking of one amazing uh woman in particular who despite everything that's thrown at her like she will not yield on the truth and at no no matter what the cost and it's because of that that she's seen breakthroughs in uh, what she's going through and that's what I admire at the end of the day and that I think is the heart of authenticity is like you're not you're not performance-based you know, um, one of my posts was uh, about the Missoula County Twitter handle and celebrating women, and it was a tongue-in-cheek, kind of not the greatest post, but a woman I, I did not reference was Jane Rechtenwald, um, not the person that you're referencing and you're talking about, but you know, Jane is, is the person that popped in my mind as you were talking. Another person that's trying to pursue, pr- pursue truth, um, she is a conservative. A lot of conservatives have turned against her. She's self-financed her own efforts to try and look at the Montana election system. Um, I mean, there are amazing people out there doing some amazing work and that aren't getting credit. Um, yeah, I think that's a that's a really good reminder. Yeah. There was something else I was going to mention, but now it's flying out of my head. So thank you for tuning in to another episode of Zoom Cron Week in Review. The posts will keep coming at the ZoomCron website. That's a WordPress website. I am hoping actually to finally, at some point in the next maybe three to four months, getting williamskink.com up and operational. That's been a long time project. Um, JC, if you're listening, he's probably like, whoa, man, that's, that's going to take some effort. But that is something I'm very interested in doing. Also, as a deranged Mr. Rogers project forms with the Lego world, um, that is some stuff that's really near and dear to my heart. So I hope to be bringing um, some of that coming up soon. Um, maybe an open house for locals if they want to come check out the the art studio. Um, there's an opportunity if I am going the Patreon subscription route to potentially get like a library membership so that the books that I reference, and maybe even some of the books you might start hearing excerpts from in premium content offered on a subscription platform like Patreon, 
you know, maybe, maybe it'd be interesting to come and be able to check out a book um, that you hear an excerpt from so you can read it on your own time and then bring it back. If not, I'll have to um, form a thug squad of homeless folks that will go and get my books back for me. Mm-hmm. I can do that. I already know some people. Some people showing up outside the space already, just that yeah. we're here for the poetry reading, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, small town, uh, you got to be careful not to necessarily share too much when you're, when you're making episodes of creative content and news content, independent journalism content, content that you can help support. Please find a way. You can also contact me at willskink at yahoo.com. If you have kind words, I'll take mean words. I'll take tips, um, suggestions. Not fashion tips. I don't need fashion tips. I think I have a pretty good sense of fashion. But if you want to reach out, willskink at yahoo.com. That's W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at yahoo.com. Anything else, Allie, you'd like to add? I think that's it. Thank you, Allie, for um, walking into the storm that is my life and getting some perspective from, from your end since I really don't you'll have to you'll have to listen to the first part the first half and see see what that's like uh and i think we can just kind of wrap it up with that right here all right thank you okay until next week and then please stay tuned to the blog a lot of articles oh oh that's right before before we finish up i do want to just tease the fact that we have really with um the rebecca barsati case there is stuff brewing, and it's not ready yet, um, but man, in a couple of weeks, I think, yeah. there's going to be some serious stuff to talk about. Um, Ali, your perspective on what this actually means at a state level, um, legal precedent speaking, way beyond what I can wrap my head around, but um, there's definitely some things that we're going to be needing to get down and dirty, some nitty-gritty yeah. legal analysis yeah. of what is going on in a local courtroom. Um Especially, especially a court a courtroom that you had no business actually um, being in at the, in the time that you did. So I find myself in places sometimes. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Okay, so stay tuned. Thank you so much. Good night. This song will hopefully make it a little bit easier for a county commissioner to do his job because I know it's difficult being scrutinized by the public as you try and do one job that does pay you a decent salary, and then maybe your partner's doing another job, growing food in the Fertile Valley here in Zoomtown. The song is for you, Farmer Josh. Farmer Josh steps in poop for priceless eggs from chicken coop. Give him money, give him job, but no more bullets for the hog. Farmer Josh opens mouth If words were wood, he'd build a house. Give him claps, give him hoots. His little ego needs a boost. Oh, watch him grow. Will he get what he sows? Farmer Josh, he got the votes. He planted seeds and taught the goats how to take it with a smile. Digging rocks, making piles. Farmer Josh opens hand. Is it pencil or is it crayon? No, 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 it is the key to the purse and all the strings. Oh, watch him grow.
will he get what he sows? Farmer Josh, he wasn't there when the yeses filled the air. Will his biz now benefit? Should they hire another pet? Dumb distraction, it is true, but helpful when you step in poo. So Farmer Josh, close your mouth. Your hand is empty, do not pout. Better days are just ahead. But now the plans are for the dead. Farmer Josh steps in poop for priceless eggs from chicken coop. Give him money, give him job, but no more bullets for the hog. Farmer Josh opens mouth. If words were wood, he'd build a house. Give him claps, give him hoots. His little ego needs a boost. Oh, watch him grow. Oh, oh. But will he get what he sows? I just don't know. But I'm an independent journalist, so I take it as my job to find out. Stay tuned.